Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Lucky Star Show and Tell podcast, and I'm your host, Lisa Field, owner and director of Lucky Star Art Camp, a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp held annually on the banks of the Guadalupe River in Hunt, Texas. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to a new Lucky Star instructor, Monica Grant. Monica is a creative process designer and facilitator with Ideas to Go, a leading innovation consulting practice that works with companies across all types of industries. Her day job is her dream job in which she does project work to help teams clarify their challenges, generate lots of possibilities for how to solve them, and prioritize the ideas they're the most excited about. She also loves that scribbling on easel charts is a big part of her job. Monica has been coming to Lucky Star for years, but this is her first year as an instructor. She can't wait to teach creative problem solving and brainstorming to her fellow campers. Monica lives in Dallas with her husband, their seven-year-old daughter, and a population of cacti. In her free time, she likes to invent new recipes, make checklists, take trips to national parks, and watch Formula One. Welcome to the podcast, Monica Grant. Today's podcast is brought to you by Meadowood Creative. Meadowood Creative delivers beautifully packaged branding that brings clients' stories to life. Through artful design, Meadowood Creative helps you to forge valuable connections with your target audience. Meadowood designs for all of your creative needs, including branding, logos, print, websites, murals, patterns, illustrations, and more. Check out meadowwoodcreative.com to learn more about it. That's M-E-A-D-O-W-O-O-D-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.com. Monica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm awesome. I'm pleased as punch to be here. So exciting. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm so, so excited to have you teaching a class for the first time at Lucky Star. I'm so excited too. Mm -hmm. A little mini course one time after we did that awesome panel discussion in one of our um, evenings at camp. Yes. And just kind of organically, we had a little um, session under the pavilion. Yeah, a little and pop up. That was super fun. Yeah, that was really fun. So now this is going to be a three-hour class this year, which we'll talk about the class Great. later on in the podcast. But for right now, I want to tell everyone that Sean is also here, our producer, Sean Stratman. Is going to be Hi, in on the conversation. Everybody. Hi, Monica. Hello. So good to see you again. Yes, likewise. So, Monica, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us the 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 brief background, including like childhood stuff. Where you grew okay. up, all of that. Great. Um, all right. Well, the now. Let's talk about that first. I live in Dallas, Texas, with my wonderful husband and my wonderful seven-year-old daughter. Uh, we live in East Dallas and um, been here for a really long time, uh, for all of my adult life, really. Uh, so I went to college at the University of Texas at Austin, and I've had a career in lots of um, kind of marketing type stuff. I've worked in advertising agencies. I've worked um, on advertising on behalf of the client. So I've worked at a couple of companies doing advertising. And then I kind of pivoted over into market research and innovation. So I've kind of taken a really meandering path to where I am today. But I've always been based here in Texas and I've been really enjoying it. And it's a, it's just a great place to live and a great place to, you know, raise a fam. And I really enjoy my little neighborhood here. 
So yeah. That's awesome. Where did you grow up? I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. I'm from Southwest Fort Worth. And fun lucky star, deep cut fact, I grew up on the same street and block as fellow instructor Shauna Martin. She was my neighbor growing up. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. So I was listening to her episode the other day and she was talking about going out into the field by their houses and chasing snakes and stuff. Um, That's I know that field very well. And that's actually where during I have such fond memories during seventh grade here in Texas, we have to take Texas history in seventh grade. And we had to film different battles in the history of Texas. And I filmed with my team with a giant camcorder and a bunch of fake blood, the Battle of San Jacinto in that same field that's outside of our neighborhood. (laughs) So when she was talking about that, I was like, I know exactly where that creek is. It's where we sell. So yeah, we're, um, I'm from Southwest Fort Worth and uh, I, kind of a roundabout. I I was born in Fort Worth. And then when I was six, my dad got uh, moved to Boston for a year MBA program. So I lived in Wellesley for a year when I was six. And then I lived in St. Louis for three years after that, um, just as part of his his job program. And then we came back to Fort Worth when I was in fifth grade. Um, So I I consider myself a, a Fort Worth person. So did you and Shauna know one another when you were living on the same street? We did not know each other um, as friends or neighbors because we went to different schools, but her dad was my orthodontist. Whoa, that's just Mm -hmm. such a fun fact. Yes. Yeah, little fun fact there. Yeah, so it was, uh, I went to Catholic school. I, um, not a whole lot of Catholic schools in Fort Worth, but I went to my, you know, kind of local neighborhood one. And then I went to the Seoul Catholic High School in Tarrant County. Um, so we came from all over the county. So I didn't have a whole lot of local friends because it drew from all over the Fort Worth area. So most of my friends lived in Arlington or the mid cities, things like that. So I spent yeah. a lot of time in the car going different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, I had a very, um, you know, very typical childhood in many ways. Um, I would say one thing that was not typical was my mom is one of seven. So I've got a very large extended family and they live all over the place. And there's a very strong sports culture in that family. I've got professional athletes in my family. I've got lots of collegiate athletes in my family. Many of them went into um, coaching or, you know, teaching and just very strong sports culture. So as part of that, I, there was just kind of this unspoken assumption that I was going to be in athletics for much of my life. And it's really funny because reflecting on a multitude of factors now, I'm, I'm not really an athletic person. I, I'm not very good at sports, uh, but it was just an assumption that, you know, that's what you're going to do. So my, the, really the main thing that I did growing up was swimming. And by the time I got into middle school and high school, it was two a days, you know, wake up at 4.30 in the morning, go to the pool, go do exercises. That's what I did in the afternoons as well, went until seven or eight in the evening doing practice. And so I, uh, that was kind of my thing. That's what I did, though I always had this just craving to be around the visual and performing arts people. I, I, that's in my DNA. I've always been just really imaginative and always drawing things. And even as a little kid, I was putting on little plays and performing and singing, but that wasn't really channeled. I went into, into swimming instead and various other sports too in the early days. And, um, I I was always drawn to the performing and visual arts people. I wanted to be part of their club. I wanted to go see their, their shows. I I just, 
it was really, really enticing to me to be around all that stuff. Uh, and I didn't realize that until I had my daughter who went, even at a very young age, she was very articulate and theatrical and just had a knack for performing and did all of those things. And only after this extended family of mine said, oh my gosh, she's your twin. I, I started putting two and two together and saying, well, she hmm. loves that. I'm now in a job where it's basically marketing performance art. And I love being in front of people and talking and directing and stuff. She's like me. I was like that. Why don't I get her into, you know, channel this energy that's so, um, so artistic. Yeah. And so now it's, she has a lot of opportunities. She's like she's at theater camp right now as we speak, actually. Oh, um, that's so, awesome. so yeah, so I had kind of where I was drawn to just, internally versus what I did. And so only now as an adult, am I kind of like rectifying that, that change. I love that. Mm -hmm. So I can't get past your bio without asking you about Formula One. <laughs> it's kind of our latest obsession. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this obsession. And I also want to geek out on national parks with you for oh, a yes. moment too, because I am a national parks lover as well. Okay. So tell me about this. Let's start with F1. Um, so like many people during COVID and quarantine, we uh, just kind of got bored with what we were doing and we started looking into uh, different activities and different things to do. Um, and just from multiple people, friends and colleagues, they started talking about this Netflix documentary called Drive to Survive, which is um, the Netflix crew gets in with the different Formula One teams and at the end of the season makes a series of documentaries about the teams, different races, different issues that come up. They do profiles of the drivers. And I don't know what it is. I I'll, I'll try to pick it apart, but it just became so engaging and I became so into it that I could not stop watching it. And luckily, by the time I started, there were three or four seasons, uh, three seasons, and I had so much to just get into and binge. And so this is a world where it's not just the documentary. There are races every other weekend over the course of the nine month season. Right. So not only do I get to learn about what's happening over the past few years, now I can dive right in and watch the races in real time. Um, and the personalities are amazing. It's something between um, just really interesting engineering and it has kind of a real housewives quality to it too, where they're all like, you know, <laughs> rivalries and bickering oh, yeah. and, and the Netflix documentary kind of dials up the drama. It's really not that extreme, but you know, it's good television. And again, it was the middle of quarantine and we needed something to keep us oh, yeah. like going. So I, I got into it that way and then started watching the races. And then we just went down the rabbit hole of like, you know, getting into the various Formula One subreddits and reading all about it and all of the memes and things that are sent across. It, it's such a different world than anything that I would ever in my wildest dreams be exposed to. There's Monaco, there's nepotism, there's yachts, there's, you know, legendary families, there's crazy crashes and fireballs. Like it has everything you'd ever want and more. And it's... Um, <laughs> And it's so fun. And it's something that the whole family can enjoy, too. My husband and kiddo are really into it, too. So we've made this tradition. And hopefully we will c come to create more traditions in the future. Um, they, the races are typically in Europe or they're all over the globe. There are only a couple of them that are in the U.S. in our time zone. 
And so they are on Sunday mornings typically. And so we have this tradition where we get up and we make some coffee and we make a meal. Sometimes if we're feeling very um, overachievy, we will make a meal that is reminiscent of wherever the race is taking place. Like, oh, it's, oh, cool. it's the French Grand Prix. Let's go get some pastries and bring them in and then have some French pastries while we're watching the French Grand Prix. So sometimes we'll match it. Sometimes we are not that high achieving. Um, but it's it's so fun because you never know what's going to come. And I, I've come to be friends with everybody, even though I've never met any of them, of course. And if I met them in a, you know, in the airport or something, I feel like I would have a ton to talk to them about. Um, the team principals who are kind of the coaches or the leaders of the team, they're all James Bond villains in their own way. Like they're so fun to watch because they're like just enough evil, but just enough good. And you never know what they're going to do. Um, so I, I love the racing. I love the personalities. Um, I love the fact that it's going to be around every week or every other week for the rest of time. So it's just really fun. It's funny. You were watching Formula One. I was eating fried chicken and watching Tiger King. <laughs> I was going to say, I was on the Tiger King train. I was thinking the exact same thing. I could not stop watching the Tiger King. I have that on my extended to-do list because I know it was such okay. a uh, spectacle that I kind of want to watch yeah. it just for like the cultural. Like, Speaking of a yeah. ball of fire crashes. <laughs> Not at all. Every time I see yeah. images or um, you know anything from that, it just gives me so much joy <laughs> internally. I, oh, I need I, I need to watch, but I haven't yet. I really need to. Yeah. So that's that was our little Formula One. Um, you know, some people got a pet. Some people picked up a hobby. Um, that's one of the uh, one of the obsessions we picked up with. You got and Formula One. Yeah. So we got Formula One. It's fun stuff. Nice. So what's your favorite national park? Oh man. Um, so let me been to. Let me preface this with uh, my daughter is really into it too. And we've always been into traveling to national parks, but I just decided when she was born, I was going to put a bunch of maps and national park posters in her room. as kind of like her baby room decoration. And I guess it stuck because now she has the goal before she hits 18 of achieving junior ranger at all 63 national parks. So we, um, we've hit, uh, gosh, quite a few this year. We went to New Mexico and West Texas. And so we did um, uh, the Carlsbad Caverns. We did Guadalupe Mountains. We have been to Colorado this summer and we've done Rocky Mountain. And a lot of these, my husband and I have already been to already anyway, but we, uh, we took her there and actually at Rocky Mountain, she formed a really great relationship with one of the Rangers and their pen pals now, which is like the most adorable thing ever. Um, So what is my favorite national park? Um, I would have to bucket them into different categories. The one that really uh, gives me a lot of joy and makes me want to go back, albeit in the cooler months, is Arches, because you get so much bang for your buck in a small space. It's like everywhere you turn, it's a calendar picture, right? With the arch and the sunrise, and it's all red. Um, And it's right next to Moab, which is gorgeous as as well. Um, Big Bend has a big special part in my heart because I went there as part of an ecology trip in high school and it just got kind of established as, you know, this is, this is my place where I created memories and got to see a lot of things. And I still remember the hikes that I took as an 18 year old there. And so every time we go back, it's a little different because, you know, the weather changes it and everything, but Big Bend is a huge favorite. Um, I still have yet to go out to some of the marquee California ones like Yosemite. And so that is next on my bucket list, um, of course, after it 
is no longer on fire, which it is right now. <laughs> so that's great. I, and then I want to get to the East Coast as well. I haven't done a whole lot of them on the East Coast, like Acadia. I have Yosemite on my list. And mm-hmm. I went to visit Sean and we went to Acadia. Oh, I love it. Was it was beautiful. I can't wait to go there. It looks so different from everything else. Do y'all have the little passports? Oh, yeah. Got all the stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say it's very it's a it's a very beautiful place. It's only about an hour and 45 minutes north of me. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge that we have found, especially since COVID, is it's gotten a little bit worse than like Disney lines, oh. which is really sad because we used to be able to go anytime, mm-hmm. park, hike. Um, the last two times we went, like we would spend over an hour trying to even find a parking spot. Oh man, that is crazy. Yeah, and and that's very unfortunate. And even like some of the more, um, I would say, the easier trails, like they have a trail called the Ocean Trail, and it is a two miles along the ocean. It's stunning, but there were so many people on the Ocean Trail that it just felt like claustrophobic, which I don't think in theory, any national park should feel that way. No, no, it's no. there to, I mean, everyone should get access to it, but you want to be able to connect with nature and the natural beauty and the cultural history or whatever the park is, is standing for. Um, interestingly at Rocky Mountain, they're doing this pilot program right now with a few other of the big marquee parks where they force you to uh, get an entry pass a few months in advance yeah. and you have to pay a, a nominal that. amount. But what that does is two things. One, it limits numbers of people in there. And two, it makes sure that people who go there really want to be there. And so um, there's not as much just, you know, crowded traffic just for people to peer over the edge of the Grand Canyon, for example. So um, the ranger that we talked to said that it's actually been really good for for the sorts of concerns that you just brought up. Um, But yeah, we've been making it a habit on those big trails. We'll wake up at 530 in the morning and go hit them before people have their coffee and it works out. But yeah, it's they're getting really crowded. Part of me is delighted yeah. because it's such a treasure. Part of me is yeah. sad because I love the nature. Well, I'm, I'm wondering too if it, a lot of it had to do with COVID and people were just home and they had the ability to travel and go places that they wouldn't have before. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, right now I would say just don't go in July and August and <laughs> probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, yeah, but that's the goal is to uh, hit at least as many of them as is feasible before uh, kiddo turns 18. And I think we can hit a lot of them. Some of them in rural Alaska are going to be challenges where you have to take a biplane up there. (laughs) But, you know, we're going to do what we can. So I love that goal. It's long term. It's achievable. uh, It's very motivating. So I love the parks. So you need to find a Formula One race. That's near a national park mm-hmm. or two. Yes. And, and just like do double no, duty. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> F1 just announced a few months ago that they have a Las Vegas Grand Prix that's happening in 2023. So yeah. I, I've flown into Vegas for various national parks from Zion to Grand Canyon. So maybe we can right. we can make those work. I love Zion. <laughs> so pretty. One of my faves. Yeah. One of my faves. Okay. So. Give us a little in-depth look at what you do in your job on a daily basis. Yes. What a strange job it is, but what a wonderful one. Um, Okay. So as I mentioned before, I have an innovation and market research and marketing background. So um, what that means is at the companies I worked 
for previously, I worked for a large travel, uh, online travel agency, and I've worked in the beverage industry. Uh, it was my job to basically um, help come up with the, the new product ideas and the new services and develop them and turn them into to new launches. And so through my beverage job, I got to meet this company that I work for now called ideas to go and ideas to go is a innovation process consulting company. I've been around for 43 years, I think at this point, which is like since the earth cooled in innovation years. So it's a really long time for our industry. Um, and so what my company does is we work with teams of all shapes and sizes from all industries um, to help them with their creative problem solving needs, help them to come up with new ideas for things. Now, those ideas could be ideas for new products. It could be ideas for new services. It could be ideas for how to talk about something. So we have this product that's been out forever uh, or this, this brand that's been around forever and we really need to talk about it a different way. Uh, we help them come up with ideas for names, even things like, um, you know, we need our teams to work together more effectively. We need new process you know, we need to in, in get some more energy into our process of, uh, you know, collaborating with whomever. So if there's a possibility of coming up with lots of different ways of solving the problem, that's where we come in. So that's what my company does. I am a process designer and facilitator. So what that means is I am the one who talks with the clients and says, okay, so what challenges are you having and what you know, like, what do you want to achieve and what are you coming in with and what do you want to leave with? And with my colleagues and I, we design a process and then facilitate that process to get them there. So, for example, say a company comes in and says, we had this brand forever. Uh, we really want to create some new products under this brand um, and we need your help doing so. So I'll say, OK, well, uh, what do you have now? And they'll say, well, we've done this market research with these consumers and we have that and we think we know some, you know, some spaces that we might want to play in. And then I'll say, what do you want to leave with? And they say, we want to leave with some new product ideas or some concepts to test with people to see which ones are the best. And so I'll work with uh, another facilitator. We usually work in pairs to design a process to help them, A, come up with tons and tons and tons of possibilities and then B, narrow down the ones that uh, they think are, uh, they have the most energy around, that have the most potential. And then we'll help them develop those possibilities or those high potential ideas into whatever format that they're looking for. So um, we're really good writers. We can write them up into idea statements or concepts or whatever. Um, but our job is the process people. We make sure that uh, they, they are doing what they need to in each of the phases in order to get to where they need to go. Um, a big part of brainstorm excellence, if you will, is getting the right people in the room. Um, so we bring our client teams together, oftentimes with a, a representation of a panel that we maintain called Creative Consumers Associates. These are hyper-creative individuals who we have found and screened and trained in our process. And so when we get, say, 10 clients and eight of these creative consumers in a room, they co-create together and come up with tons and tons of really neat, interesting, relevant, and distinctive ideas. And then the consumers go away and then I help the client teams decide which ideas they want to push forward. Um, so I'm a, a facilitator. Um, and so I'm the one who kind of leads those sessions, whether it's in person or over Zoom. 
Um, and it's my job to keep things fun and energetic, but at the same time, stay on our strategic mission and make sure that we're pushing things into the right direction. Um, it's a lot. I mean, there's so many hats that I wear in this job. It's everything from cheerleader to um, kind of Sherpa or trail guide to therapist to like strategy for like I, all of these hats I'm constantly taking off and putting on um, just based on whatever the objective of the moment is. Um, so it's my job to kind of run the circus. It sounds like such an interesting <laughs> It's job. so interesting. I mean, like right up my alley. Sean too. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I come from and all of my co-facilitators. We all have different backgrounds. Um, many of them, again, to our earlier discussion about performing arts, many of my colleagues have performing arts backgrounds, or at least did that at some point in their past. Um, because we have to be up in front of people, because we have to keep the energy high, because we you know, are coordinating and directing all of this stuff, it's a really helpful skill to have um, to kind of know how to, how to move people around, both physically and conceptually um, and strategically to, uh, to get the output that you're looking for. Um, but I also am a former client of my company. And so I know a lot about where my clients are coming from. I know what language they use. I know that they're buried in PowerPoint hell all day long, every day, and where they're coming from and what they need. So I can kind of bring all of the different parts of my past together to, to make this work really well. Um, and it's really fun because I can use my my own creativity to come up with different ways of doing things and different activities to do with them, to come up with new ideas, different um, templates and formats to to do convergence. Um, it's just really fun to kind of constantly reinvent the process. I like I like the idea that you've pitched to us because I believe that individuals can benefit from exactly what you're talking about as well. Like absolutely, resource wise, it is very hard for a person that's sitting at home who's trying to concept out an idea to maybe flush through everything without the support that you're providing. So mm -hmm. I love the mm -hmm. idea that, and maybe this is a good segue into talking about your class, Lisa, yeah. if you want to kind of introduce that part. Um, and then we can talk about the individual side of what it is Absolutely. that you do mm -hmm. and how that'll tie into the lucky star. Right. Uh, how it can be applied. Mm -hmm. Yeah not just to businesses, but obviously to the end. Oh, yeah, it's such a, it's such a direct um, translation. I mean, it, this can be used for any challenge that you need to solve, not just business challenges. There's so many things that we do or we, we, we're confronted with multiple times a day um, that could benefit from this kind of creative problem solving and thinking. Like everything from... Um, like my house is always a pigsty. How do I keep my family motivated to keep the house clean? To um, I don't like my job. How do I pivot my career into a, a place mm -hmm. that I really want to be? And everything in between, right? So there are so many personal challenges that benefit from uh, creative problem solving and you know divergent thinking and convergent thinking that uh, I think this will be helpful for anybody because we all confront these kinds of challenges on a multi-daily basis. Yeah. So tell us about your class. What's it called? Mm -hmm. Give us the, the brief description and the who's it for and the takeaway. Great. Uh, my class is called Creative Problem Solving and Brainstorming. And it is a half day class. 
It is, I mean, we all hear about creative problem solving, brainstorming. We might have even participated in them in some capacity, all of us. Um, but my class is here to teach you how to apply the process that I use in my, uh, in my work every day to our own personal challenges for which there may be multiple solutions. Um, so I am going to, it is for everybody uh, who is interested in putting a little bit of structure and rigor around solving some of these challenges. And again, they may be personal challenges. They may be challenges at work or, you know, within a social group. Um, but what I'm ultimately trying to get people to feel is empowerment and confidence and actually excitement around uh, confronting and coming up with ideas for, uh, for you know, all these various challenges that you might have. And I say challenges like it's a bad thing. Some of these are fun. Like, how might I um, create new traditions this Thanksgiving with my family that everybody's going to remember forever? Like, that's technically a challenge. It's a how might we statement, but it's not a bad challenge. It's a fun challenge. So whether it is a pro like a true problem that you're um, dealing with in your life, or whether it's just a, a how might we, or I need to come up with new ways of doing something or new ideas for something, this framework uh, and these activities that I'll be teaching um, are, are really applicable in any situation. But ultimately, you'll leave with a toolkit for taking any of those I wish I could come up with some ideas for this or for that uh, and actually focus yourself and anybody you collaborate with to, to get where you need to go and get lots of awesome ideas. I love ideas. that. I love the sound of it. It, I, you know, we have so many, <laughs> we have so many creatives obviously coming to Lucky Star, but we also have a lot of business owners, Yes. Um, you know, small business owners, especially. Mm -hmm. And as a small business owner myself, and one of mm -hmm. the reasons that, Sean has come in to help me this year is that, you know, I, I can only come up with so much on my own, you know, there's, when there's no one to bounce ideas off of, when there's no one to brainstorm with, it mm -hmm. just, it's not as fun for one thing. And, and it's, it's isolating, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. and yeah. I've kind of been a one woman show it for is. a long time. And it's been so nice to have someone to to just collaborate with, you know? It, it's, it just takes things yes. into the next realm. And, and that's where I want to be always, you know? I, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to mm -hmm. be stagnant. I want to be moving yes. in, a, in, in a good direction. And I feel like this class is perfect for those of us who – don't want to stay stagnant and want to really, really keep pivoting and moving the dial and upping our game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to say too that um, I was fortunate enough to come to the little mini class that you held two years ago or 2019. So is that three years ago? Yeah. I don't even know now. So, but um I have to tell you that it, it was a it was a very short order class that was about um, you basically presented some rules for the road for mm -hmm. creative idea generation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you presented has stayed with me so hard that a anytime I'm in a business meeting, I myself introduce it. 
And I have changed my vernacular completely oh, based on that one hour. I love it. And the, the thing that you taught us is that you cannot use the term yes, but. Right. Yes. And I, I now use that in every application in my life. Like I said, not only business, but especially with my children. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, when I have been in conversations with my kids, it was habitual to use that, which is a power grab in a lot of ways, oh, sure. right? Yeah. If you if you're saying that, yeah, but it's, yeah, but I know more. I, you know, I have more to tell you. I have, and ever since that day, I have really, really committed to erasing that from my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And it had changed a lot of interaction. And so if that's just one thing that I got in a 15 minute that has changed so much, I can't wait to be part of your three-hour class. I will be in that Oh class. man, this makes me so, so happy. Thank you, Sean. Yes, this is, um, so the idea of yes, but, oh man, I could go so many different directions with this. Um, <laughs> yes, but. Don't, don't care at all. No, don't no, care no. At all, so the one thing I'll say about yes, but that what you said made me think of is, um, so the idea here is, you know, when somebody shares a new idea about something, um, it's very instinctual for us as humans, risk averse humans to yes, but it, because as humans, we are the product of many, many generations of risk averse people. Think about um, people back hundreds of generations ago, thousands of years ago, they were constantly facing existential threats like rogue waves or saber tooth cats or whatever. Um, and so whenever they see something new, their instincts tell them fear, avoid that thing. Now we are less often facing existential threats today, but every time we see something new, our instincts kick in and we want to identify the risk because we are more scared of losing something than we have an appreciation for gain. That's something called the negativity bias. It's one of our many cognitive biases that are neither uh, right nor wrong. They just exist within us as humans. And that yes, but is a reflection of the negativity bias uh, and mm-hmm. tends to also convey a sense of wisdom in when used or a sense of authority. So when somebody shares a new idea and somebody yes butts it, oh, they, they, must, they must be very smart to understand why that's a bad idea. Like it kind of gives a sense of gravity, but it's super, super, super unhelpful for having productive conversations, for building on new ideas, for generating more ideas. Because what that yes but does is destroy any sense of psychological safety for sharing vulnerable new ideas. And that's the opposite of what we want in a brainstorm session. We want a free, open environment where baby ideas are free to be shared and it's a safe space for doing so. Um, so the little uh, mini pop-up sesh that, we, that you're talking about there that I taught, that is gonna be an element of the training. It's called Mindset for Creativity. And it is all about identifying and thwarting that negativity bias, which is kind of like the granddaddy cognitive bias um, that really gets in the way of coming up with new ideas and being in the presence of new ideas. So thank you for I think the other that. thing that I, yeah, oh, I, I employ it every day, literally. I think about it every day almost. Um, but the, the other thing that I wanted to add there is it's very, um, it's very important to realize that taking that, taking a step toward reducing that negativity bias is understanding that even the smallest 
idea which may not seem to work in in that person's mind mm-hmm. or in the category of what you're thinking mm-hmm. what what taking that bias off does is allow for pieces of that to be left mm-hmm. in other ways which i think is it's it's not shutting something down it's leaving it on the table to mm-hmm. be used maybe another way or at another time, or it's just out there. It's been floating. It's been floated out there so that even though if it doesn't in the end make sense in that creative process today, it exists out in the world without a negative frosting on it, which I think is really important. And that's Um, a big part of what we're, uh, what I'll talk about within this mindset of creative or mindset for creativity is uh, we'll do some practice and I'll be sharing some ideas that are arguably dubious, but the practice is to identify what's good and what's working and what's neat and mm-hmm. inspirational and has potential about an idea and then solve for what's not working. Because it's so easy just to hear something, a complex idea and say, yes, but that's not going to work because of X, Y, Z. Okay. You just killed the whole idea when there might be mm-hmm. some really good stuff in there exactly. to save and build on and then solve for what's not working. So this mindset for creativity is an incredibly powerful tool, not only for um, kind of creating the mental space for things and for being open and creating that psychological safety, but also for like literally reacting and improving on existing ideas and making them better. So it's both a philosophical tool as well as a practical tool. I just feel like everybody could benefit from this class no matter what, no matter where you are in your life, whether you're a creative and not creative, a business owner or not business owner, Mm -hmm. a family, a home, you know, a homemaker, whatever. It doesn't, like you said, it, it, I can attest to in one hour, it has like really changed my thinking and to have the opportunity to have three hours is very exciting. Oh, so thank you. I, I, I'm like hugely promoting this to anybody who is interested in this kind of uh, topic and bettering their thought process and their creative process. Well, Monica, I'm... how have you seen oh, this process transform companies, individuals in your in your work life, just in your experience so far? Do you have any favorite stories? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, gosh, I've there are so many teams that try to come up with um, solutions or ideas on their own, and they um, they're very smart people, and they know a lot about their industry, and they know a lot about you know whatever uh, it is that they make or they do or their processes, but they can't shake. And this is another one of those cognitive biases. Um, there's several of them actually, but they can't shake just the availability bias of like only coming up with the ideas that are top of mind. Like they can't get past the ones that they either have seen recently or that they've worked a lot on. They also can't get past their, another bias, curse of knowledge, which once you know a lot about an industry, say you're um, a manufacturer of pain medication, or say you are a bank who knows everything about loyalty programs, or say you make sausage, like your company makes sausage, whatever, wherever you are, you know more about your industry than your customer ever will. You know so, and you think about it a thousand times more than your customer ever will. And so when you bring that mindset you know, with a bunch of people like you to come up and come up with new ideas, they're not going to be new and fresh. They're going to be the same old things that you've always thought of because that's just your context. 
coming up with new ideas requires two things. I mentioned earlier, the right people in the room, but also the right stimulus in the room. And the right people can create the right stimulus. And so that's my job is to make sure I bring the right people together and have them come up with the right ways of stretching their thinking to push that thinking beyond the obvious. So when we bring teams together who are used to kind of locking themselves in a room and trying to come up with stuff. And then, you know, we put these amazingly creative consumers in front of them who push their thinking in different directions. You got a bunch of different perspectives. You got a, it's just a symphony of ahas and light bulbs and eyes lighting up. It's amazing to watch people. And it is not uncommon, less so now that we're on Zoom, but when we're in person and doing this process in person, more times than not, everybody leaves with hugs and like we stick around and we just like talk and we all become friends. Like it's such a cathartic process to see people go from stuck for, for no bad reason, just because they've just been thinking and doing the same things for so long to open up their, their eyes to new possibilities. And it just there's a million stories that I could tell you about. I mean, I just had a project this week, um, you know, with a pharmaceutical company and uh, the fact that they all stuck around on Zoom and just wanted to talk about how great it was and how energized they felt like who feels energized after a four hour Zoom. But this process made them feel energized after a four hour Zoom. Right. So it's uh, I mean, it's just great to see people unlock their own creative potential. And that is 100% the highlight of my job. And another thing too, Lisa, that you mentioned uh, when we were talking about, like, you know, you've been coming up with a lot of these ideas on your own, kind of in a, in a vacuum. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, as long as you pull in new and novel stimuli to stretch your thinking and have the techniques in place to know how to generate that stimuli to stretch your thinking. And you can get to a different place just on your own. Of course, you know, if you want to collaborate with other people, that's amazing. If you're an extrovert and you need that, um, or if that's just how you work better. But like an, an example of this is like, say I want to come up with uh, a new restaurant to go to. All I can think of is just the restaurants that I go to all the time. I'm like, oh, I need to come up with another place. So I might tell myself, do a series of creative exercises where, okay, restaurants out, out of the picture right now, just focus on making a list of all the countries you can think of. And so I'll make a list of all the countries I can think of. And then I'll go back and say, okay, what cuisines do I associate with those countries? And then what restaurants do I associate with those countries? That's super close in. I might also give myself a, a further out task that says, okay, write down a list of all the textures that you can think of. Okay. Crunchy, crispy, um, woven, whatever. And then I will write down foods I associate with those textures, and then I'll find restaurants that are associated with those foods. Um, I might go even further and say, write down a list of all the positive emotions that you can think of. And so I'll do that. And then I'll go bring it back and say, what foods or dishes or memories do I have associated with those? And then I'll push that out and try to, to turn those into restaurants. So you can do it on your own. You just need to have the skills and, and techniques to know how to That's stretch totally your right. own thinking in the moment. I, I think that, um, I think that you're so right that <clears throat> having those skills, I mean, like there are so many, I, I'm just thinking right now about how many people are sitting there thinking that they've done all they can do, you know, like, I can't grow this thing anymore or mm -hmm. I can't get any further than I am right now. I have yeah. tried everything, but you have a skill set that they don't have. And the fact that you're sharing this with everyone, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just super excited. I think this is an opportunity for everyone and it's unexpected. That's also one of my favorite things. 
it's de- it's it's definitely mm-hmm. different. It's different. It's, yeah, people are going to be excited about this. I would say too, it's important to note um, on the idea of creative problem solving. Um, I have a lot of clients. I don't think this is going to be as true for the people who attend camp, uh, just because of the nature of who comes. But I have a lot of clients and other people I work with in my life who say, "I'm just not creative. I just can't do this. I'm not creative." Well, I think what they are referring to is I'm not artistic. Like I don't have the ability, like they're limiting themselves. So one thing I'm going to teach or talk about in this class is the fact that A, we're coming in with the assumption that everybody has creative capacity. Like that's, that's a fact and we have to make that assumption. And then B, when you talk about people who are creative, quote unquote, or like the, the sculptors or the painters or the digital artists, Really, all that is is creativity plus a skill set, right? They've had a lot of time and a lot of practice uh, and maybe like some sort of like initial proclivity toward that medium. So there's nothing different about creative problem solving and brainstorming capacity. It's having your innate creativity, which again, everybody has different flavors of, plus a toolbox allows you to be very generative. But you can't do it just by sitting down and saying, all right, I'm going to come up with a bunch of ideas. If you can, that means you're a unicorn. Like only unicorns can do that without um, being coaxed and and being encouraged. Um, But what this will do is teach you how, like kind of the fundamentals behind how to be generative, the elements of creativity that go into that um, and how to ask yourself the right questions and give yourself the right prompts to come up with various possibilities for whatever your challenge might be. Um, and then, you know, different tools and techniques to, to stretch your thinking even further. Because the goal here is to get beyond the obvious, right? You don't want to come up with the same ideas that you've always come up with. And it's really hard to break out of that box that, um, you know, that, that life puts on you or your constraints or the nature of your business or whatever. Um, and so we try to push people into kind of like comfortably uncomfortable spots so that, they feel free to not just adhere to the status quo. And the thing is like, we want the crazy ideas. We want the wacky and wild ones because it's so much easier to come up with a harebrained, crazy, wacky idea that maybe there's a, there's a germ of something awesome there. It's so much easier to come up with that wacky idea and then reel it back into something feasible than it is to come up with a super feasible, practical idea and make it interesting. So get crazy, we'll reel it back in. Um, and we have tools like that mindset for creativity is a perfect tool for doing that. And so we'll teach you how mm-hmm. to do that. Monica, you've been coming to Lucky Star as a camper for several years. Do you have any Lucky Star stories you want to share? Oh, gosh. Any um, moments <laughs> that stand out? You know, it's not so much a moment. And... I, I really hope that this is a not, this is not a non-answer, but it's more of the tapestry that it weaves in my mind, all of the little things that are all coupled together. Um, and I know a lot of your guests have talked about all the different elements, like the food and the, the setting and you know, all of that weaves together. And I'm not really one to remember specifics and details. I'm more kind of like a big picture person. Um, but it has created the space in my mind and in my memory that is very distinctive and unlike anything else. And so there are smells, there are um, feelings, there are like just the feeling of the rock on the building. The fact that, you know, when you pull in, 
like this world and opens uh, opens up to you. Um, it just has a very specific space in my mind that I know is a place that is very sacred to me. And while I don't have any specific like funny anecdotes about like what happened around the campfire or you know the time that so and so blew pea soup out of her nose, though those are all specific memories. Um, it, it's more just the space that it occupies and that it's always going to be there for me. And it's a place that I always want to be. I hope I that's love an that okay answer. answer for you. I love that answer. <laughs> I really do. It's it's more of a feeling. I like that. Mm-hmm. Monica, yes. where can our listeners find you? I know you're on a hiatus from social media, <clears throat> except yes. for LinkedIn. Yes. I, I've got LinkedIn. I've got, uh, yeah, that's basically all I have. I have, um, I determined a while back that, uh, this is just for me personally. Um, social media was taking more than it was giving. And so I decided to uh, get rid of it in my life. Um, so unfortunately I don't have any Instagram, Facebook, anything like that, that I can share with people. Um, but I love making up for that through direct communication. So, um, you know, I, come to camp, find me, let's exchange numbers, let's go get virtual coffee. I'm the master of the Zoom coffee. I love them. So that is how I uh, I share with other people and get to know them a little bit better. Okay, the final question that I always ask every one of our podcast guests, if you had something to show and tell about, what would that be? It's show and tell day. <laughs> Um, I don't have it in my hands right now, but something that I've been extremely proud about over the last year is my growth and development in the realm of sourdough making, because like everyone else, not everyone, a lot of people, I got into growing a little friend (laughs) over the pandemic, a little sourdough starter. I've had two of them. My current one, her name is Sourdothia, named by my daughter, and she lives in my (laughs) fridge. And... I've, I haven't gone as deep as I have in other areas of interest, but I have just been so proud of what I've been able to turn out in the last six months or so, specifically, that I would, uh, if I had one fresh, I would come and show it to you right now. Because it, it looks, has like all of the slashing on the top and it looks all professional and it has like a little spiral from my little basket and everything. Um, I'm particularly. That's a good one. There's nothing better than hot, fresh mm-hmm. bread out of the oven with some mm. butter. Mm. Just what you do, what it does to your house mm. the day that you're making it. It just is such a welcoming environment. Um, and it just, it gets gobbled up the second it comes out. So it's, I need to make more at a time. And also trying to, you know, like not eat as much bread as that's I want to. So, so a I, double-edged that's sword. the good thing about sourdoughs. You can just. Like push it back in the back of your fridge. It'll continue to just be. It's very at peace with who it is, the sourdough <laughs> starter. And so you can just bring it back out and give it some food. And it says, yes, I'm here for you. Allow me <laughs> to give you my services and gifts. And it's been back there for like two years. Yeah. It's been so fun chatting with you today. I'm really excited to have you coming as a teacher this year. And uh, it's the 10th anniversary. So that I makes can't it wait. even more special. I can't wait to see what everything is, what it's going to happen and what is going to be in store because I know it's going to be crazy fun. Well, I really appreciate your time today. And just thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to 
to um, for everyone to get to know you better through this and um, in the months to come. Thank you so much. The pleasure is mine. <laughs> Bye. 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 Lucky Star is a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp that takes place each fall in the Texas Hill Country. For dates and more information about our upcoming camps, visit our website at www.luckystarartcamp.com or find us on Instagram at Lucky Star Art Camp.